I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. I'm your host, CEO Chuck Sexton. Before we get to our guest today, I'd like to remind everyone that you have just one last week to apply for the Brazos Valley Economic Development position as president and CEO. This is a great opportunity for the right professional. It's in Bryan and College Station, Texas, or Brazos County, Texas, the home of Texas A&M. They did pretty good in the SEC tournament, if anybody happened to watch that. Uh, The position pays $190,000 to $230,000. It's a top-tier position for someone with experience that's ready to take another step in their career path. For more info, you can reach out to me, Chuck, at nextmovegroup.com. You can reach out to Alex at alex at nextmovegroup.com, or just go online to www.thenextmovegroup.com slash Brazos Valley. Today, our guest is David Thornell. David has led economic development in Chambers of Commerce over 40 years in Alabama and Mississippi, been directly involved in the recruitment expansion efforts resulting in the creation of over 18,000 new jobs and $3 billion in capital investment, all within communities of less than 25,000 population. This podcast is really for all those small towns out there, and you're going to know why, because David has authored the book Small Town Solutions, an economic development guide for small communities with big dreams. And he's here to discuss that, maybe a few other things with me today. Our guest, David Thornell. Thanks for for joining me, David. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. I appreciate the invitation. Well, I've got to know, what made you want to write this book? I've always written for the uh, local newspapers when that I've been in different positions just to let folks know what's going on at the organization and um, just uh, progress as we could report different things that were happening that weren't uh, common knowledge. So I've always enjoyed writing and it originally thought that I would take some of those old articles and try to put together a book. But as I went through the process, I began to just uh email myself thoughts I would put in the subject line for book and I did that for hmm. oh, a couple of years before I retired and then I, I began the project of trying to uh, combine those notes with articles and um, uh, 
I tell you, the toughest thing was to pull it all together into a uh, something that didn't uh, didn't have you know repetitive sorts of ideas. None of this is so complicated that uh, the uh, the book's going to be over anyone's head, and everything's possible in this book that's, that I've written about. But um, I was so determined that well, it, this is something I had in mind for these you know many years that I would write a book, and uh, when I finished the thing first of the year, uh, I learned after I got my author copies that I had repeated some things in the book. And, uh, you know, most people would proofread prior to uh, publication. So that's something I learned. And um, I told uh, a friend, Chad Chancellor, I owed him a, a book because he's got one of the uh, un uncorrected copies. But um, no, that, that uh, learning curve trying to, this is on Amazon. Um, you can find it with Small Town Solutions and David Thornell, but the um, the whole uh, process and trying to format it to the Amazon and Kindle and getting that help I needed, uh, it, it was more work involved, but yeah. uh, great satisfaction to be at this point. Well, I got mine off of Amazon, which was easy to do, by the way. I don't have a Kindle, though, so I couldn't do it that way. Uh, and and I've read through it. It's an easy read, by the way. It's not it's not like some big, complicated, uh, packed full of theory. To me, it's very tactical in nature. And what, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, who did you envision as, as the audience for the book? Who's the book for? Who did you want reading this book? Well, I, I hope that economic development professionals and those in uh, the chamber and community uh, development work would understand that it is for those folks who are just starting out. And, and and even for people that have experience, it's a reminder of the things that it takes to succeed. Uh, each chapter is it takes, and then, uh, you know, it may be product or incentives or infrastructure. Um, so, that, you know, leadership and vision, of course, are in there is it, it does take those things. But, uh, it's for those folks that are just starting out. There's really, I think, in small communities, there's such a, a desire for, um, you know, ideas and, and where do we go from here? And especially those maybe that have been elected in the office and are, uh, are finding that there's a lot of responsibilities now that people are looking to them to, to accomplish things. So I, I believe that the book is going to be helpful for. Uh, like I said, a newly appointed and newly elected, uh, newly hired economic developers. Um, but but then it is a good basic uh, reminder for for those that have been in for many years uh, because yeah. there's just a lot you have to keep an eye on the say keep an eye on the ball. But there's a lot of balls in the air in terms of shaping a community to uh, package and promote a community so that you can can pull in uh, attention and uh, investment in new jobs. Yeah, I agree with you. Even if you've been in economic development for 20 years, I think it's good to be able to take a book like this and say, okay, you know, sometimes we get a little burnout in, in those jobs. And it's good to have a book that kind of says, you know what, I haven't really thought about this for a little while. And I'm glad I read this book just because it put it back top of mind. It doesn't mean you didn't know about that concept. It just means maybe it hadn't been top of mind for you. Like, it, you know, ch chapter one, you, you said, you know, most of them are titled It Takes. Um, chapter one is titled It Takes Leadership, which we could talk about for an hour by itself. Uh, but one thing I really like that you say is, although you'll not find local leadership listed as a factor in site selection surveys, there is nothing more important. And I agree with that for several reasons. 
and I see it play out on site visits. You know that we do site selection. I've I've and I've noticed it especially recently uh, on site visits. I want you to expand upon that topic for a little bit for the audience and why that lead local leadership piece is so critical from especially from a site selection point of view. Well, of course, uh, all deals are local, as we know, and so it takes that uh, local team and the, the folks in charge of uh, putting that offer on paper. Uh, and of course, long before you get to that, putting the, uh, the community in order so that it is competitive, that it gets the attention of a prospect and would bring them in and, and uh, have that interest to, um, to even be at the table. And so the leadership is responsible for that. You know, the type of product that they have, whether it's a site or building, uh, type of infrastructure that they've supported, uh, the, the, the type of support that they've given to their local businesses, because we know that all prospects are going to talk in local industries about the uh, how they've been treated, the workforce, the advantages, disadvantages of, of uh, operating in that community. So uh, leadership and, and those in economic development positions are all in the middle of that and can um, and can make things happen or uh, or, or they'll lose out and, and uh, would hope use it as a learning experience. But you know, there's nothing more important than that personal uh, interaction with a decision maker to uh, to see if you can create something that's a win-win for both parties. There's two things there that kind of struck home with me. One, uh, on the BRE side, taking care of, you know, what you've got, taking care of existing industry. I don't want one of my site selection clients to go to a town, if I, especially if I know that that community hasn't done a good job of taking care of existing industry. I'm, I, I don't want them to go there because I want my clients to be taken care of long term. The other thing that's kind of stuck sticking out to me <clears throat> with this on the local leadership piece and, and, you know, sitting in, uh, say, SEDC or IEDC uh, conferences uh, or state conferences, listening to consultants back in the day, you would listen to them and they would talk about how you've, you've got to have people on the same page. Your local leadership kind of, you, you don't want people meeting each other for the first time in front of the client. You don't, you especially don't want people who don't, can't stand each other to let that be seen in that room. And I experienced that within the last couple of months on site visits uh, in a couple of communities uh, where in, in one community in particular, it's a, it was one county, two different cities. We we're looking at a site in each city. There are 50 people in the room, no need for that. That was excessive. Uh, but that shows you that not everybody's on the same page. That shows you that there's a power struggle within that community for who gets what. And there has to be all these important people have to be at the table. And it's very overwhelming for a client to have that many people in the room on a site visit. But then you could just feel in the air that everybody was competing against each other. They didn't like each other. And, uh, you know, we they were cut as soon as we got in the car. Uh, the, you know, both sites, both communities within that same county. And so I think, uh, you know, that's a really, really important way to start the book is it takes leadership. Um, Chapters two and three in your book. You, you know, you're talking about something that's showing a, a lack of trust, like who is in charge here. So we'll all sit in on this meeting mm -hmm. and then and, and you can't get anything done that way in terms of decision making. And then uh, no cohesiveness in the community. That's definitely felt by a prospect that would say then, well, how am I going to fit in when these people uh, have been here together for a while and they're not getting along? So I think you're uh, you and the. Uh, prospect absolutely right to say well that's not going to work for uh, for that project yeah i agree so to me 
<clears throat> like chapters two and three, you, you talk about one's about vision, the other's about planning. And they go hand in hand and, and are very good, you know, following each other. Considering our team right now is doing a lot of strategic planning for communities and organizations, these two are really relevant. Uh, and reading them was really relevant for me. Uh, where do you think most small towns fail when it comes to planning? Well, I, I, th I think they probably just get bogged down in the thought that, uh, you know, we're not so different than others. And so how can we then uh, have a chance to succeed? But uh, actually, that opens up the doors to decide and look around uh, at other communities that are doing well and seeing what you can uh, maybe do perhaps even better or, or put the right mix of the things that are working in other communities. I think that uh, people should just put their research hat on everywhere they go and observe what other communities are doing so that they can decide how would that fit into my community? What would it look like? Who would it benefit? And then um, just know that um, they can keep it simple by looking at themselves with a clear vision of here's what we have, here's what we need, uh, where do we go from here? Uh, so the vision does then uh, you know, just sort of mesh hand in glove with the plan. And the plan is something that you've got to realize has to be worked at every day, that there's not much value uh, beyond maybe some time together among uh, leaders to get to know each other's, you know, the thoughts and dreams uh, in that room. But, you know, until you apply it, it's not going to be an advantage to your community. Yeah. I agree with that. One of the things I talk about a lot is when there's <clears throat> when there's too many kingdoms, you've got too many kings or queens or however you want to put it. And um, <clears throat> everybody wants to control and 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 be that you know power player in their own kingdom. And when when that's the case, when it's not servant leadership and when it's not all pulling together, I think communities have a have a hard time really moving forward. Um, you you talk about and and you know that's kind of ugly. And which leads me to my next question, because you talk about being attractive to attract. And it was kind of funny. I'm trying to remember the exact line you said in the book. about Nobody. Let's just be honest. Nobody likes ugly. Yeah, you know, there's no yearn for yuck. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> and um, I, I think that's um, more so now that we try to um, attract, you know, labor. That, that not only seeing that. Uh, you know, you go to attract business, you, you've got to attract the right labor force and bringing in people that are uh, are going to be valuable to the to the companies that later look at your community. Yeah. So uh, it, it does come to impressions and the, the, those first impressions are hard to forget if it's something that they, you know, they don't uh, like, you know, putting their eyes on. So it, it does mean a lot that you would just be a place that people have a pleasant a response in terms of uh, they, you know, they've got their act together. They've got civic pride. They're, uh, they're there's, you know, just a looks like to be a pleasant place to uh, live and to work. Well, you think about this from sort of the you know the things going on in culture right now. It's really relevant uh, considering the work from home uh, aspect mm -hmm. that's that's occurring. And to me, it kind of speaks to beautification projects in communities. Have you seen? communities more communities doing that do you think do you think it's as important as people you know or do you think it's more important than people maybe uh, realize that it is well it, it certainly is because you're hosting visitors every day i 
I watch a lot of home improvement shows. I mentioned the Napiers of uh, Meridian, Mississippi in the in the book, but the uh, not Meridian, they're in Laurel, Mississippi. Um, on um, on Hometown, uh, there's a group called, um, there's a picture of Fabulous in Bentonville, Arkansas. It's amazing these home uh, improvement shows are so many of them in the South. But um, what what happens normally is when they're fixing up someone's house, remodeling a house, is people say they like to entertain. They're always looking for a place to entertain because they like to have guests. And if uh, the local leadership would just realize that they have guests every day in their community, then they need to ask themselves, what have we done to prepare ourselves to, to entertain and to, um, to look good and to uh, make, make our visitors feel good about visiting? So whether they're passing through or, or hopefully they're making a stop intentionally, uh, communities got to set the table for company to come. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my buildings and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my buildings and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. You know, a lot of times people don't realize, well, I'm, I'm going to take it back to site selection for a second here. <laughs> it's not just about, you know, beautification and, and uh, from the standpoint of hosting, it's also sort of rolling out that red carpet um, yeah. when you have people come into the community and, and, you know, I don't want to pick on anybody and, and give specifics, but I've had several uh, on site visits uh, where we've you know, spent the night with the client in the community and the community hasn't, you know, controlled and said, hey, all right, this is the hotel you're going to stay at. We're going to make sure everything's perfect. Here's where we're going to take you to dinner. You know, I've had communities leave it up to me and the client and and not right. touch us until the next morning. And that just kind of blows my mind. I would I was not taught that uh, in economic development. I was taught to make sure and and make everything as perfect as you possibly could uh, for the client's experience when they're in town. When you leave them up to their own whims, you know, that's when you end up say at a bar having a conversation with someone in town who may sit there and dog your town um and so i think that's important from the standpoint of of really hosting appropriately when when whoever it is whether it's a site visit or or a dignitary or whoever you have in your community yeah absolutely you shouldn't i mean why leave it up to chance when you don't have to and uh you can um you can you can guide those impressions. I mean, that you're you're the host, so that's what you should be uh, taking that taking command of um, where you go and what you do and and how you um, are introduced to that community. 
Yeah, I agree. In this book, you kind of hit on all what I call the basics. You you talk about workforce uh, product, which is real estate, recruitment, incentives, BRE, all these different aspects. And I know the title is Small Communities with Big Dreams, but would you also characterize this as sort of a, a first step or foundation building book for a community? Yeah, I think it can be because uh, it, it doesn't take all of those things to succeed, but it does, you know, each of them contributes to the competitiveness of the community, uh, attractiveness in terms of um, is that a place that we want to go visit to live, to work, to uh, to create a business, to start a business or, or to uh, relocate a business. Um, so it's all there. It's all important. It's all uh, a part of that uh, big puzzle that we're trying to put together and making our community the best it can be. But um, I, I just think that people ought to, you know, take take it in bite size. Uh, say eat the uh, elephant one bite at a time. That's why the book starts with the, um, the statement, you know, what can I do today to make my community better tomorrow? And to just have people think on a daily basis, are they doing that? And if they are, even though there's not much progress on a daily basis, it is progress and it does add up. Well, I do like the fact you include quotes um, at the end of most chapters. Sometimes they're, they're, they're stuck in other places, but there's a kind of speaking of that, there's a Chinese proverb you put in there. Um, and it has to do with that. I'm trying to Wishing does not make a poor man uh, rich. Well, that, <laughs> not that. Well, no, maybe it was um, um, the best time to start. Uh, it, it the Chinese proverb. Yeah. The best time to start was 20 years ago. Uh, the mm -hmm. next best time to start is today. Yeah. So, yeah. That's true. And uh, and that's that's what I hope everybody would would do, say that we, we can't do it all. We're uh, you know, we're going to be limited in some of these areas to, uh, to to be the top of the heap. But it's still something that we can do day by day within all those choices of it takes to be working on those uh, day by day is the right thing to do and not just leave things to chance or to. Uh, you know, for the next grant cycle or for, um, you know, the rare large industry that would come to town. Uh, those opportunities in small communities are far, far apart. And it's something that, uh, you know, you should just accept what well, we can, you know, improve ourselves in multiple other ways and, uh, and it'd be considered as progress and it's, um, it's worth doing. Yeah. I've, I've been in a, uh, communities where, you know, sort of that's the case where everybody, stakeholders, especially business leaders, we should have been doing this for so long. And now we're behind the eight ball and there's nothing we can do at this point. And, and you kind of have to give them that pep talk of, look, just because it wasn't done already doesn't mean you can't start right now. Don't yeah. look back 10 years from now and say, well, maybe we should have started then. So yeah, me, I think that's extremely important message uh, in the book. And <clears throat> it, that kind of leads to, you know, towards the end of the book in chapter 16, you, you talk about how it all takes time. And I was in a community recently delivering a strategic plan. And I said, it, I was giving a talk first and, and educating on economic development, sort of a one-on-one session. And, and I said, look, you know, all communities need three key things to make a, a program work, funding, effort, and time. And then everything fits with one of those categories, but you have to have all three of those. And a lot of it falls under effort. I mean, there's a lot of things that fall under the effort part of it. What would oh, you yeah. say are some of the main reasons 
that a small town doesn't give enough time to their efforts? What distracts them? Uh, I, I think that uh, it, it's, it's interesting what you've, you've said of those three things. I, I'd heard uh, also money, manpower, and motivation. Um, the, um, the Those three things that, you know, you just have to combine to make something happen. Um, it, it's, it's hard to say. I, I think people do just sort of get bogged down in the, and the fact that it's um, it, it's tough for them to see potential when they've been maybe beaten down before or had uh, say that they've tried something and it didn't work. Uh, there's a chapter in the book about it takes a bigger we when you're you know interviewing people and say, well, we tried that or we we weren't able to uh, achieve what we're after. But there there's a much bigger group out there that are willing to help uh, small communities and. And uh, many of those are in utility departments that have economic developers in your state organizations, federal organizations. And so there's there are people that you can reach out to and bring on board and uh, they bring ideas and manpower and motivation and money. And so it's uh, it's really a team effort that you know we all talk about in economic development, but it's so important, especially for small communities when they feel like, hey, we're alone and forgotten out here. They're really not. Yeah, I think you hit on something there where and it's one of the reasons, of course, we're as a company, everybody who listens to this probably knows, but you know, our passion is small to mid-sized communities more than anything else and, and helping them be successful. And, and I think when it comes to the executive search side, you know, uh, not enough small communities give credence to the fact that it probably is a good idea to bring someone in from the outside. There's a lot of reasons that that communities will give to say we want somebody who's from here who understands the area who understands this and that but what you don't get and yeah that there there's there is some something behind that but at the same time you don't get that experience and what you also get with it is baggage that that baggage that you just talked about of well we tried that and failed <clears throat> and they'll you know they're probably more apt to listen to someone who will sit there and tell them well, that's not a good idea, so-and-so, because we tried that already and it failed. Well, maybe you didn't try it the right way, or maybe the effort wasn't behind it, or the time wasn't given that was necessary, the funding wasn't given that was necessary. And so, you know, do you see that as as potential for small towns to really, if they want to elevate, should they really look at bringing in a professional, someone who's had experience in other places, has a good track record, rather than uh, someone who's lived there their whole lives and may not have any experience? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I appreciate Next Move's focus on small to mid-sized communities and the fact that you've helped so many in so many different uh, ways that you reach out and, and share the knowledge and experience uh, of your staff. It's, um, it's tough in small communities because your vision is based on what you see every day. So you, you come to accept um, things that hey, this is just the way it is, this is the way it's always been. And so it, it's so important for, um, you know, a fresh uh, set of eyes to come in a community that has the knowledge and um, has, has, has seen other places do things with uh, similar circumstances to take assets that would seem limited, but uh, with the right kind of push can really become special. So, yeah, I, I just think it's, tough for communities in a um, you know a situation where that it's always been that way to not uh, accept that 
it can be different unless someone from outside comes in with specific examples and can share uh, ways to make things better. Yeah, I agree. And, and it, you know, and unfortunately, I've seen a lot of communities kind of stumble and fall and, and they, they eventually learn the lesson, but they lose, you know, four or five, six, sometimes 10 years of progress potential uh, just because, you know, they, they, they aren't focused on, you know, how do we continue to grow? That, that growth mindset isn't there. And, and, you know, Chad even has a lot of stuff that he's done for what he calls his small town mayors and small town, you know, elected officials. And he, he likes working with those growth oriented ones. And he did a whole series uh, for them uh, specifically. And it was more of an advanced course of, all right, if you're a growth mindset, you, this is something you need to pay attention to because it's going to help you continue that. Well, when you look at, um, speaking of vision, that uh, you know, communities need to realize that their uh, local leadership team is all in this together and that they should also look at themselves in the mirror and know that you know, they share in both the successes and, and the uh, failures. So it's, it's so often that the economic developer gets to be the, uh, you know, in that public position, uh, it catches the blame so that then there's said, uh, the local leadership would say, hey, we found the problem, we fixed the problem. But often the problems, uh, uh, like I said, shared, and it should be some restructuring and, um, and a reevaluation of what it is that the community has to offer so that then that next economic developer can uh, come in and, and be on the right path versus one that's not realistic for that community. Yeah. Well, and, you know, having passion, you know, just having passion in general for economic development, for communities to be successful, being able to bring that passion and leak that into the leadership uh, of the community, I think is really, really key in being successful in a, in a rural community, especially. And then, you know, at the end of your book, you talk about lessons learned. It's probably my favorite part. <laughs> Um, uh, do you have a favorite that you put in there by chance? Because I, I have oh. one that really stuck out to me. <laughs> well, let's hear yours. So there's one in here that you said, remember that whatever you allow for the first customer or tenant in your industrial park becomes the precedent for the next one and the next one. And that really stuck out to me because I had some industrial parks once where, you know, this happened before I got there as the economic developer, but uh, the first thing in that park was a dialysis center and, and it was right next to the entrance of the park. And it was, they just couldn't figure out why no, no industry wanted to go into that industrial park with a dialysis center right there at the front entrance. Well, and all the uh, trucks would have to pass. Yeah. You would think there'd be another, another spot in the community that would fit better. So yeah, with some covenants and, and I think probably what happens is a lack of um, patience, not just a lack of covenants, but the, uh, yeah, the, locals want to get something going someone's interested in putting something there and then they put it but then absolutely that becomes the uh uh the main thing that that others would judge that park on so i don't know that you've gotten real far with the dialysis theme park um yeah i don't think so either i <laughs> and and you know not a lot has occurred in that industrial park i had another one one time that uh, we were able to stop this uh and you know it, it made a lot of people angry for a little while but a school uh, school board wanted to put a new school in uh, an industrial park and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a knockdown drag out uh, to get that stopped and thankfully it did uh, because that industrial park after about four years had 
2,500 new jobs in it. And, and I think if that school had been in there, those jobs wouldn't have come. Yeah, gosh, you just think of the safety aspect of having those kids moving back and forth, moms and dads picking up kids. It's, um, yeah, it, it just needs to, needs to make sense. I've had two different instances of parks where that they've had a um, repair shop for automobiles, but the, the pitch was when they first went in that they would just be taking parts off of, uh, off of wrecked totaled vehicles and that those parts would then be stored inside and sold online uh, never ever works out that way those cars are out there waiting to be stripped you know for um for months and the the fencing that was required is the um you put the lattice strips between the chain link fence and then that gets destroyed over time so um yeah it's just just best to decide that you want quality and then that quality is going to be a great selling point for the next one and the next one. Yeah, I agree. What would you say is uh, the thing you want people to get most out of this book? Well, uh, may I mention, I, I think small communities do, do want hope and help and guidance. You know, it, it can, uh, uh, can come from this book and maybe having them think about things where that they're lacking and then maybe some things where that they're really, uh, enriched and have uh, a lot more to offer than they realized. And um, so I would hope that it would be a, just a, a good primer on here are the things that it's going to, you know, they're going to be important in terms of community economic development. And you have the uh, ability to, to do any and all of these things. Maybe you can't do them all at one time, but you can do anything uh, within that book that's described as a plus in terms of economic development. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I certainly appreciate you joining me as we, uh, as we close up here and speaking of small to mid-sized communities, I want to give a preview really quick. We have a new executive search coming up. This one will be from Montgomery County, Kansas. If you are in the state of Kansas or another, and would like to go ahead and chat with us about this position before we really release this, uh, you can reach out to myself, Chuck at nextmovegroup.com or Alex, at nextmovegroup.com. I really appreciate David being on the podcast with me. David, we can get your book on Kindle, on Amazon. Is there anywhere else that's good to go and find um, small town solutions? Uh, no, for now, it would just be on amazon.com. And uh, like I said, search by small town solutions or David Thornell and you'll find it. And um, hopefully it will be helpful to um, many that would see that this is a uh, something for especially for the for newcomers but also for those that have been at it a while and um as um, I, I think it is important that you're always trying to increase your knowledge of what's possible um based on your assets and strengths and weaknesses uh next move group does a good job for that i'm a former client of next move uh next move was involved when they found the replacement for me and uh, after 10 years in northwest alabama and um i appreciate what you guys do and i appreciate the invitation well we appreciate you and uh, of course we're we're always trying to come up with new opportunities for communities like that we've uh, we're not just doing executive search but we have a jobs board now for number two number three positions we actually have some number one positions that have been listed on there for communities that are searching on their own and you know, whatever we can do to tap into our network that that helps get the word out for for finding a good professional for a community, we're going to try to do that. And uh, 
So if, if you'd like to get in touch with David, I'd say get if you want, you can shout out your contact info or people can get in touch with me, Chuck at nextmovegroup.com. I'll make an introduction for you to David, especially if you're interested in uh, in getting a copy of the book. Thank you so much for being here on the on the podcast with me, and we will see everyone on the next episode of the We Are Jobs podcast.